Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Let's start with some baseball. Carlos Rodon threw a no-hitter for the White Sox last night, and honestly, it was awesome. It was awesome because almost nobody throws a no-hitter and then starts their post-game interview like this guy. And Carlos Rodon has waited a long time to see himself as this. And he is going to join us from downstairs. What's up, man? Carlos. <laughs> Dude, congratulations. What just happened? <laughs> that might be the greatest way ever to start an interview after the biggest moment of your MLB career. That guy literally just said, quote, what's up, man? What just happened? What's up, man? What just happened? That does not sound like a guy who just threw a no-hitter. It sounds like a guy who just woke up from a nap or a weekend bender in Vegas. What just happened? <laughs> What's up, man? What just happened? What's so my up, dude turns in one of the all-time great post-game interviews. Like when he was asked about when he knew he had something special going on last night. He said it was in the seventh inning. And at that point, he knew it. And so did everybody else. And I mean everybody else. After Ramirez hit that, I, I mean, it was 3-1 count. Or I had him 3-0 and I went fastball, fastball. And that 3-1 count, he knew I was throwing a fastball. I knew I was throwing a fastball. You guys probably knew I was throwing a fastball. And someone's dog in Kentucky knew too. But <laughs> uh, when that ball was caught and it came off the bat at like 170 miles an hour, that's kind of where I started feeling it. This dude. Like, you know when, quote, someone's dog in Kentucky knows that you're throwing a fastball, then everybody knows what's coming. So you better bring it. And he did. And then this dude just kept right on rolling. Like, his reaction a split second before he got hit with the ice bucket. What does this mean to you and your heart? I don't know, man. Yeah, that's going to be cold. Yeah, it is. <laughs> uh... <laughs> A lot of work, uh, a lot of people, a lot of help um, to went went into this to, to come back, and I'm just I'm just happy I'm happy I'm here again. It was I'm blessed, man. I'm blessed. Alvin, get ready to re-roll that. It's actually amazing. Check out how locked in this guy is. He calls out the ice before it comes by saying, "quote That's going to be cold." And then somehow, some way, in the midst of it all, he catches a few ice cubes in his mouth. And if you listen, you can actually hear him chomping on the ice during the interview. Listen really carefully to this. What does this mean to you and your heart? I don't know, man. Yeah, that's going to be cold. Yeah, it is. <laughs> a lot of work. You can hear this dude chewing people, the cubes. A lot of help. Um, I don't know how he caught it in his mouth, but he did. Hey, don't get this twisted either. This is not some slacker who just hopped off his skateboard, ripped a few bong hits, and then pitched a no-hitter. This dude's intense now. He's intense. His teammates have nicknamed him Hard Carl because of the intensity he brings when he needs to bear down. And Hard Carl was in the building last night. Used to be that a no-hitter in baseball was an event, right? Used to be something huge. It used to be something major. It was the kind of thing that when it happened, you remember the date, you remember the name of the guy who threw it. You remember where you were when you saw it. Now they happen so often, it's hard to even keep up, right? I mean, quick, do you know who threw the most recent no-hitter before last night? Joe Musgrove. He did it last Friday night. Do you remember the one before that? Alec Mills. He had one for the Cubs back in September. 
I mean, I probably could have named any pitcher from any team, and you would have believed me. A while back, I actually used to say the no-hitter was the new shutout. Now, I want to be very clear about this, though. Just because there has been a rash of no-hitters, it doesn't mean they're not impressive. They are. It's still an amazing individual accomplishment. But I understand if maybe you yawn every time you see what happened now. Just don't sleep on this guy and his no-hitter because this dude is a warrior. He was the third pick in the 2014 draft. And he went from that, third pick overall, to being non-tendered by the White Sox this offseason. I mean, this guy's been through everything. And by everything, I mean all sorts of injuries. There was the sprained wrist when he slipped on the dugout steps. There was the shoulder surgery back in 17, the Tommy John surgery in 2019. There was a period when this guy could barely get above 91 on the gun with his fastball. So not only did he not look like the third pick in the draft, he looked like just a guy. And not a guy that was going to intimidate or flame anybody at all. Yet last night, one of his final pitches of the night hit 98.8, 98.8 miles per hour. Hitting near triple digits on the radar gun when you're past triple digits on the pitch count is crazy. But what's even crazier about that is that's the fastest he's thrown a pitch in five years. And not only was he working that no-no, he actually took a perfect game into the ninth and came this close to getting it before falling apart with the first batter. Oh, and two. Tapper first base side. Abreu is on it. Jose, got to the bag. One gone. Will it stand? For me, he's out at first base. I mean, Jose, the only thing he could do was lunge with a foot to first. All right, you got to take my word for it if you have not seen it. You just heard it, but if you have not seen it, hell of a play by the big man at first. Not that graceful, not that pretty, but it got the job done. And you know the old cliche, every no-hitter, every no-hitter has at least that one great defensive play. And that was the one that Rodon needed. It kept the perfect game alive. Now he's two outs away. Kept the perfect game alive for another moment or so because it actually ended on the next at bat and it ended in the worst way with a slider that did not do what he wanted it to do. The slider, Carlos has supreme confidence in. Zach's got to block it. Inside, Perez. He got hit by it. Perez got clipped by the slider. Wow, what a way to end the perfect game bid. Carlos is talking to him. It actually oh, got him off the top of the foot. My goodness. Carlos Rodon will not be perfect tonight, but the no-hitter is still available. You know it's going through the guy's head, right? Like, come on, man. Really? You could not get out of the way of that? But even then, normally when a guy loses a perfect game, then they lose the no-hitter right after that. And then sometimes even the shutout. Sometimes even the game. Like, that can get in your head, the wheels can come off, and then it can get really ugly. But not last night. Not last night. Oh, Carlos. Nah. He just dropped a 12-letter bomb, laughed, and went back to work. I threw it, and it just, it just took off like one of those snakes. And I go, oh, there goes the toe ball. And, you know, you hear that clunk. And I was like, mother f- <laughs> So you just, you can, all you can do is laugh about it. I mean, it wasn't meant to be. Dude, this guy is incredible. I, I need that one more time, Alvin. That is such a great response. Like, mother bleeper, there goes the toe ball. All you can do is laugh about it. It's not meant to be. The guy came this close to a perfect game, and that's his response. I threw it, and it just, it just took off like one of those snakes, and I go, oh, there goes the toe ball. 
and you know you hear that clunk and i was like mother <laughs> so you just you can all you do is laugh about it i mean it wasn't meant to be my man i mean that that's one of the all-time greatest responses i've ever heard from an athlete to something bad that happened i mean that is absolutely amazing and then you know he's able to laugh at it which i don't know how a guy like that can in that spot it's what makes him different but there is some mental toughness here because he came back to strike out Yu Chang on four pitches. He went ball, 95 mile per hour heat, strike, 95 mile per hour foul ball, 84 mile per hour slider for a backwards K. That is some hard Carl bleep. That's awesome. That's how you bounce back from losing a perfect game. But he was not still out of the woods. He had one more out and he had to battle for that. An eight pitch at bat that included the 98-mile-an-hour fastball, the hard Carl special, and he finally ended the at-bat and the game with this. Three and two. Rodon. To third. Moncada. Carlos Rodon has thrown a no-hitter. After everything he's been through, the elbow and the shoulder were supreme on April 14th. 2021. I just thought that was such a cool moment for a dude like that. I had to lead the show with it. I had to open up with it. And that did set up that amazing interview where he said, what's up, man? What just happened? He had another even better line later, though, when he talked about what he's been through the last few years. The shoulder surgery, the Tommy John, when he was battling just to have something positive to say after games. He never was even in a spot where he could talk about anything positive after games until this moment. An interview with all you guys, normal people here. And so he's like, oh, there's been some up and downs and you know, what's it like to go through that and go through some adversity. And it just feels good to finally sit here and tell you uh, I dominated today. And it was, it felt good. I've never really done that. I've never done it on this level at least. And it feels good to say I, I did it. Hell yes, hard Carl. You did do it, dude. You did dominate. Respect. Much respect. I thought that was a great moment. And maybe even a better interview. And that's saying something when a guy throws a no-hitter. 1-800-636-8686. Y'all got to try and be responsible. I know it's going to be really hard for some of you Beavis and Butthead types. I didn't nickname the guy that. That's his nickname. I told you why that was his nickname. What's up, man? Then he went out and he got it done. Are you looking to grab some protein after a good workout? Of course. Except this time, do it differently. Do not make a shake. Don't eat a bar. Grab a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper instead. Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty. It's tender. It's made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. And it goes with you wherever you go. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. That way you can see the quality that you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, clones, ask for it by name. Because no other jerky compares. Oh, Trapper, what's your beef? All of that belongs to James Conner. James, good to have you back. How are you? Man, great, Jim. I appreciate that introduction, man. Appreciate <laughs> uh, you. It's nice to talk to you again. Yeah, yes, you sir. too. You too. Yes, sir. It's good to have you back, James. So let me ask you, going into free agency, like what was that process like? What kind of emotions did you have? Did, was it nerve-wracking or did you like the way the process played out? Um, I definitely liked the way the process played out. Um, it was it was definitely different, just being my first time being a free agent, and and obviously just knowing Pittsburgh through and through. But um, it was uh, I knew it was going to be an opportunity for me to grow if I did get into a new environment, which I did totally different. You know, the West Coast now, and they're out there in Arizona. So 
Um, it's very exciting. It's, uh, you know, I know it's a great opportunity for me. So it was different, but I, I loved how it turned out. I love where I'm at. So Gee. just ready to get running. James Conner joining us. Excuse me, I was going to say, what was it about Arizona? I mean, I see it's a new opportunity, a chance to grow. You've always been about that. Specifically, what was it about that opportunity in the desert that appealed to you the most? Uh, just man, just uh, what they got going on out there and the, and the veterans that they have out there. You know, Larry Fitzgerald, DeAndre Hopkins, they just added J.J. Watt, and obviously Kyler is young and exciting, and the coaching staff. Uh, they got running back coach James Saxon. I had him in Pittsburgh, and so there was some familiarity uh, there. And a young, exciting offense, and I felt like they believed in me. And so it definitely just changed, and, and I just felt like it was the right place, right time, and a good opportunity for me to continue to take my career to the next level. James Conner joining us. All right, then, so you join an offense. As you mentioned, you've got Chase Edmonds, you've got Kyler Murray, DeAndre Hopkins, and more. So when you look at that offense, what kind of thoughts do you have? And then what are you going to bring to that offense? I'm just going to bring, bring you know, hard work and, and north and south attitude and and going to run hard, you know, that they have a great passing game already, so I, I know that it'll be opportunity and there'll be running lanes there and just, you know, just ready to run and bring my bring my skill set to that table and I think uh, it, it could be something special. Hey, James, from where I'm sitting, like, I'm just on the outside looking in, but Kyler Murray to me is just, I mean, this dude is special. He's special. He is really different. I'm curious, as somebody in that league, what are your impressions of him and what he's done as a quarterback in his first two seasons? When you look at him, what do you see? Man, I just see uh, uh, a dual threat. I see explosiveness. I see a winner. You know, I just seen he's like the all-time player in Texas history, and it just, you know, he's uh like you said, just special man, fast on his feet, quick decision making. Just a tremendous athlete in general. So to to be back there with him and and also Chase, um, you know, I just think we could get some special going in the running and passing game. And so yeah, just a phenomenal athlete. Though that's what I see. Who's only con- going to continue to to get better and grow. James Conner joining us. You mentioned Chase once again. Like, you were talking about the fact that you've been watching film of Chase Edmonds and getting fired up about that. Like, specifically, what did you see on the film, and how do you see the two of you working together? Uh, man, what he brings, he just, he, he really fast, great footwork. You know, he uh, can do it all, catching, and, you know, I see him getting involved in the passing game. And, and so, um, and, you know, he runs tough, too, and I run tough, and so I think uh, he's definitely faster, you know, so be change of pace and you know I, I'm, I'm gonna come with some speed too and continue to work this off season but uh you know I just see a nice little team going there that's what I see that's what I can see we're talking to James Conner you know you mentioned Pittsburgh too like you have a new opportunity and it's a chance for you to grow and attack a new challenge I know that's rejuvenating but Pittsburgh is a city that meant so much to you over the years and you to them how would you describe the relationship you had with that city and what it did mean to you and does Oh yeah, it'll always have a place in my heart. You know, it's a city where you know play my college ball and you know have great relationships with everybody there. Um, Dr. Marks, as my uncle, you know, it helped me save my life and you know, and then be able to get drafted by them. So, uh, like I said, the last eight years I spent there has been molding me, you know, and, and, and shaping me into the man I am today. You know, that just that that work ethic and just toughness, and so I carry that with me. You know, I've been PA through and through so through any any type of weather any adversity everything up there is just um you know Pittsburgh always have a place in my heart for sure
James Conner is joining us. You know, there's what the city meant to you, but there's what you meant to the city as well. As an example, Pat Narduzzi, who's the head coach of Pitt, told the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette that when his mother-in-law was battling cancer, she would talk to you about it. Quote, they talk chemo together. How many people can do that? He inspired her, no question. On her bad days, she would put on her James Conner Pitt baseball cap. It would make her feel better, end quote. I got to ask then, like, what do you remember about those conversations and what's it mean to you to have that kind of legacy and that kind of impact for people around you? Uh, there, there's no, there's no replacement. You know, there's no, nothing. I wouldn't change anything in my past. You know, that's all just God's plan for me. Um, you know, I feel like he, he put me through certain things and situations because, you know, he, he knew that I, I could be able to be inspiration to other people and, and yes, definitely will coach, you know, as um, I just remember those talks and just trying to give encouragement, inspiration, and, and just give hope. That's my life. That's my life's mission is to, to give hope to others because it's really about the people. And so, um, yes, it's just God's plan for me. It's my journey. It's my life story. And it's just, uh, it's just, it's just a part of who I am, you know, with, with cancer and toughness and everything. I just want to, you know, be able to, to give hope to others. And so I'll never forget none of those conversations that I've had with, you know, coach's mother, and also any other you know people I inspired and talked to has been it's been thousands and thousands, and so I truly am just so very thankful for for you know my life and and uh, I know it'll only continue to to grow and, and keep continue to help others. James Connor joining us. It's a beautiful thing to say, really. Like it can't be easy when you're that inspiration. I mean, it's great. It's an amazing thing, but at the same time, I could see where it might get kind of tiring at times or maybe be hard work. But, you know, you and I have talked about your journey over time, your cancer diagnosis in the past. The other day, somebody tweeted to you saying, quote, just wanted to share that my last imaging came back negative. I was diagnosed with stage three colon cancer in July. You kept me inspired and motivated. And like you, I can say I'm a cancer survivor. Keep doing you, my guy. I'll forever be a James Conner fan. I would just ask you, like, when you see something like that or specifically that, how does that make you feel? Man, it's a. indescribable feeling you know i'm just like i say forever thankful for that and you know that that you can't ever replace something like that and i just want to you know it's just it's special because for people to say you know it's one thing for people to be Steelers fans and cardinal fans but for them to say a james Conner fan you know and and how they you know i've been tweeted pictures of people with a 30 jersey on while they're you know laying in that chair getting getting chemotherapy pumped into them and it's just you know they use my jersey as like a symbol of strength and a signal of, uh, you know, a symbol of hope. And so, you know, those messages will never get old to me. You know, it keeps me going. And so um, I salute those ones that have, uh, you know, the courage to, to, you know, be vulnerable like I have and, and put themselves out there and, and, and let me know that, you know, I was, I was the inspiration for them. And like I said, it'll never get old. And I'm just so forever, forever thankful. And like I said, that's my life mission. I really, really appreciate that response. James Conner joining me for a few more moments. So if you're an inspiration to so many people, who are some of the people who have inspired you over the years? Oh, man, I've been inspired by, by multiple people. Um, just in the, the cancer football world, Eric Berry has been an inspiration for me, you know, being the first to do it. Um, been inspired by Ian Maliszewski up in the area. I've been inspired, you know, by all my brothers. You know, I'm the youngest. I got, you know, four older brothers and you know, they just always believed in me and encouraged me, and I just wanted, always wanted to be like them. And, you know, my, my parents, everybody, family, um, you know, just the ones that came before me, you know, all inspired by truly everybody. 
James Conner joining us. You know, like you mentioned at the very top, that you're looking to grow. You're always looking to grow. And I know this based on the conversations you and I have had in the past. So, like, how different are you at this point in your career compared to when you first arrived in the NFL as a player and the way you think and approach it? Um, a lot different. You know, this, you know it's, it's definitely stages and there's levels to it. You know, you, you come in early as a rookie and you're trying to find your footing. And then second year, had a good year. And third year, you know, you have your ups and downs. You battle with injuries, but you learn how to continue to take care of your body and just, you know, be a pro. And, and the opportunity for me to come to AZ and learn from all these veterans here, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm only going to reach new heights and continue to grow. And so, um, you know, you just uh, approach the game. You know, I see now, you know, going to a different team and, you know, you just realize the business aspect of it and, um, you know, just get, get, get different viewpoints of it. But the main thing is just being, being healthy and also just contributing and being productive. And, and when, I'm, when I'm healthy, I'm productive as they come. And so, you know, I'm just going to keep putting my best foot forward, keep getting my body ready and like I always do, and um, to let God take care of the rest. It's such a good message. Such a good message, big-time opportunity, and a new start in Arizona. Cardinals running back James Conner, my guest, a pro bowler. You want to read that book also if you get a chance. Fear is a choice. My man, great to have you back on the show, James. I appreciate you very much. Thanks for doing that. Have a great day. Hope we can do it again soon. Yes, sir. Thank you, brother. Hey, you want to hear something utterly amazing? Discover matches all the cash back that you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year automatically with no limit on how much you can earn. Now, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. That's where. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com yes. 2021 Nielsen Report. Limitations do apply. The Brooklyn Nets have been assembling the plane as it flies this year. It's the first season of Kyrie and KD together. Then they add James Harden. Then they start to add more pieces during the season. Now, however, one of those pieces is gone, and the reason is a total gut punch. LaMarcus Aldridge announced that he is retiring. He made the announcement this morning, and he's retiring due to a heart issue. Not he's out for a few games. He's done. He's done for the year. He's done for his career. He tweeted a letter which read in part, quote, Today I write this letter with a heavy heart. My last game. I played while dealing with an irregular heartbeat. Later on that night, my rhythm got even worse, which really worried me even more. It goes on, quote, The next morning, I told the team what was going on, and they were great getting me to the hospital and getting me checked out. Though I'm better now, What I felt with my heart that night was still one of the scariest things I've experienced. With that being said, I've made the difficult decision to retire from the NBA. For 15 years, I've put basketball first, and now it's time to put my health and my family first. End quote. Listen, if your immediate reaction to that news is to wonder what that means to the Nets championship hopes, to quote Rex Hudler, shake yourself. Shake yourself. I'd add to that, get over yourself. Look yourself in the mirror. I mean, that is scary. I can't imagine how scary that must have been. If he's calling it, quote, one of the scariest things I've experienced, I mean, to me, even to read that, to read that back is actually pretty terrifying. I can't imagine what living with that must have been like. I'm glad, though, that he did live through it and that he's got more life ahead of him because we've seen too many situations where guys try to push through a hard situation and the results are tragic. We've seen that. Unlike a knee or an ankle, 
You don't just tape that up. You don't just walk that off. Not when you're dealing with a heart issue. So on the one hand, his retirement is a complete and total shock because he had just joined the Nets and had a really good look at the one thing he wanted so badly, a ring. On the other hand, this is not new. Mike Finger reminded everybody on Twitter this morning that Aldridge missed a few games back in 2017 with an irregular heartbeat. So obviously it's something he's been dealing with for a long time. Going back to his rookie year, when he was diagnosed with Wolf-Parkinson-White syndrome. So the good thing is they caught it. He's taking the steps that he's taking right now. It sucks that it ends his career, but it's great that he can go on and enjoy the rest of his life. And I say that as somebody who has had him on this show numerous times over the years, and I have always enjoyed the conversations I had with LaMarcus. All right, number three. What player have you enjoyed dunking on the most, and what player did you hate dunking on you the most? This is hard to say, but uh, favorite, the favorite player that I dunked on would be Tim Duncan off the rim. You know, he's, you know, one of my idols. So, you know, when I dunked on him, that was, you know, one of my best moments. And uh, being dunked on, I would have to say my, my uh, first year. Uh, and then they got me on a fast break. He, he was kind of a chubby that year. I thought he couldn't jump. I didn't know him that well. It was on a fast break. You know, I thought I was going to block it, and he just dunked on me. So we like, I can't believe it. That fat kid just threw down on me. <laughs> So, but I'm really good friends with him now, so I wouldn't, you know, call him chubby now. But back then, I didn't know him. I thought he couldn't jump. All of a sudden, he just jumped over me and just dunked on me. Lamarcus Aldridge back in 2014 on our Showtime show. That's why you hear that audience. We had a live audience for that show. In fact, it's still mind-blowing to me that a week ago, as recently as a week ago, he had 22 points in 23 minutes against the Pelicans. And now he's done. And yes, he might not have been where he wanted to be defensively, but he was working his way into the team. He seemed to be finding a role, and that role was scoring. As Steve Jones Jr. tweeted, quote, any number of dribbles, turn right shoulder, fade away, LaMarcus was getting to that shoulder. End quote. Man, that is the truth, too. He was getting to that shoulder, and he was getting that bucket. Just over two years ago, He pumped in 56 for the Spurs against the Thunder. And he had this moment against the Mavs years ago as well. And it's into Aldridge. Aldridge puts it on the floor for the win. LaMarcus Aldridge wins it in Dallas. What I'm saying is we're talking about a guy who averaged a hair under 20 and more than eight boards per game and did it for 15 years. I mean, the guy was a monster. Those are monstrous numbers. That just does not happen. So if you want to focus on some of the things that he didn't do, you go ahead and do that. But that says more about you than it does him. If you want to know something about LaMarcus, check out this tweet from Jamal Crawford. Quote, the realist I've ever met. We played together one season, and you would think we had known each other for decades. Your star stature never changed you. You never looked at yourself like that. You were just L.A. I always love that about you, my brother for life, end quote. So he's retiring as a seven-time All-Star. He's Portland's all-time leading rebounder. And maybe most impressively, he's retiring as a five-time All-NBA selection. Five times. The same number as Clyde Drexler. 
Yao Ming, Chris Weber, more than Pau Gasol, more than Chris Mullen, more than Reggie Miller. Maybe that helps to put this in perspective. It's a hell of an achievement. Hell of a career. It sucks that it has to end this way, but nothing but respect for LaMarcus Aldridge. He was all class. Daniel Ponce de Leon joins me. Daniel, great to have you on. How are you? I'm doing good, Jim. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. It's really nice to talk to you. I think the story is amazing, and I'm eager to get into it. Before we get into the story, Daniel, it's, I mean, it's amazing on so many different levels. I want to ask you about the start of the season. You came out of the bullpen on Tuesday against the Nationals. As somebody who has both been a starter and worked out of the bullpen, how would you describe the differences in each role? Um, I guess the adrenaline. You know, uh, as a starter, you got the whole day to plan out, and you got a whole routine. And then... As a reliever, you know, you get the call, and all of a sudden you just got to get going, get high, and get out there. So that's that's what I've noticed the big difference, and obviously the routines are a bit different too. Right. All right, so 12 games in, it's not a large, a really large sample size, but overall, what are your early impressions of this team and the ceiling that it might have or might what it might be? How good can this group be? Uh, this this team is good, really good. Um, you know, we just, we're just a little bit slumpy at times. Uh, we... If we just get clicking together at the same time, I think we're going to be pretty pretty dang good. All right, so Daniel, your story, as I mentioned, is pretty amazing. So people can fully understand. Let's go back. You played your high school ball in La Mirada. That's about 20 miles from where I'm sitting right now. But growing up, baseball wasn't even your favorite sport. What were you like as a high school pitcher? Um, a bit ignorant of baseball, I guess you could say. Uh, you know, in high school, I threw a four seam that I called that I thought was a sinker, and um, I threw a, a curveball on the two seam. And then I didn't even know what a changeup was, so I didn't know much. But all I knew was I knew how to compete. All right. So early on, which you knew though, you knew you had a future in football, or so you thought, and you thought you might end up at UCLA or USC. At the end of the season banquet for baseball, you get a phone call. What do you remember about that phone call? Yeah, um, it, uh, I was sitting there at the baseball banquet and uh, get a call from a scout named Jake Wilson. And he goes, hey, uh, we're from the Tampa Bay Rays, and we just selected you in the 24th round, and we'll come in contact with you later. And I said, okay, thanks, bye. And I remember sitting there like, the draft was today? I, you know, I didn't even know when the draft was. Crazy. So the draft was that day. I, it's actually pretty funny, right? You didn't even know when it was. You get drafted, but instead of signing with the Rays, instead you go to the University of Arizona on a baseball scholarship. What was your time like there? Um, tough. Uh, I did I pitched three innings at Arizona and um, just didn't really make a lot of sense for me. And uh, at the end of the season meeting, they told me they wanted me to come back and be a starter for them on the weekend. So that was pretty exciting. Until halfway through that summer, I got a call saying, hey, uh, we're not renewing your scholarship, so go ahead and search around, please. So what's that like? It was uh, it was heartbreaking. I remember just turning around and getting my pillow and just kind of screaming into it. And then uh, within the next day, you know, I started receiving a bunch of phone calls from D2s, JUCOs, and, and different schools. And uh, we ended up scheduling at Cypress Junior College, which was near my house. We're talking to Daniel Ponce de Leon. All right, so you have a number of schools that are interested in you, and you choose Cypress Community College. You get drafted for a second time, but then you decide to go to another college instead, and you go to the University of Houston. After that season, you were drafted by the Cubs, and they agreed to give you a $100,000 signing bonus and that they would pay for you to finish college when you got that chance. So at that point, what was your life like, and how did you feel? 
Uh, I was feeling pretty good. You know, uh, it was kind of what we want, what I wanted, and uh, I thought I was ready to go out and play some pro ball. And then, uh, you know, had different news otherwise. I was going to say, Daniel, so you're like, you're back on track. Like, this is the way it's supposed to play out. So you go to Mesa, Arizona to get your career started. You have a physical. You have a few MRIs. And then they tell you they don't like the nerve placement in your right arm. I mean, what was your reaction when you got that news? I, uh, it was one of those, like, in a movie scene where everything kind of goes silent. And you hear that, like, beat sound. That's what it felt like again. And um, I was just so confused. Like, what, where, did that, where did this come from? You know, I didn't miss any time that season at Houston pitching. Uh, never spent any time on the DL, and all of a sudden I'm not getting signed because something in my arm with the nerve. So I was confused and angry, but um, I asked Houston if I could come back, and they said, sure, but we had to go through the compliance office, and that ended up being a long losing battle to the NCAA. Daniel Ponce de Leon is joining us. He's got a brand new book called One Line Drive. I mean, this is crazy. So they rule, the NCAA rules that you're ineligible to return to Houston because you would receive the offer from the Cubs. So not only were you ineligible to play at Houston, you couldn't play at any other NCAA school. So then you end up going to Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University in Daytona Beach. Like, how did you find that school? And what was that experience like? Uh, my pitching coach at Houston, he coached the pitching coach that was at Embry-Riddle. And uh, that was the connection there. I had never even heard of NEI. I soon found out there was one in, you know, La Mirada called Biola, but uh, I found out that Embry-Riddle was ranked third in the nation. So I thought if I was going to go play NEI, I might as well go to a really good school. So I ended up going there and uh, went to an aeronautical school. I mean, the story is almost hard to even follow. There are so many twists and so many turns, and you just kept bumping up against so many obstacles and so many dead ends, but you never gave up. I would imagine there were tough days, but you never gave up. Why was that, and what kept you going? Uh, I was never taught to give up. I just kind of kept going and going. Not only that, but I had a pretty pretty dang good support system with my family, especially my dad. He was there. He he drove with me from from um, California to Houston and from Houston to Embry-Riddle, which is in Daytona Beach, Florida. So he was with me the whole time, helped me out, drove me through and supported me through these times. So there was times where I didn't have any money and I needed some food. And, uh, you know, I had my dad there for And the thing is, I mean, it's challenging enough, right? So you think maybe, maybe this is rock bottom. But then I fast forward ahead to 2017. And at the start of the book... You were with the Memphis Redbirds in 2017, the Cards AAA team. You were starting a game in Des Moines against the Iowa Cubs. As you write, it turned out to be a very important day, and you remember random things from that day. What are the memories you have from that morning of that day and as you got ready to make that start? Um, it was a, you know, one of those day games in the minor leagues where it's a kid's day, so you, you know you're going to begin some SpongeBob in the speakers. And um, I just remember... Uh, it's a it's a pretty sunny day, and you know you got the Iowa field, and they got the city hall thing in the uh, in the backdrop, so it's hard to see as a hitter. So you're thinking it's in your favor, and uh, you know had a normal routine, never really thought twice about it, and went through my normal day. So Daniel, in the second inning, you're facing leadoff hitter, and the catcher calls for a two-team fastball. You throw the pitch, and you write in your book, quote, "As soon as the ball left my hand, I wish I could have reached out and taken it back." End quote. What gave you that feeling? What happened next? As a pitcher, you've thrown so many baseballs. You know when 
when one's not coming out good. So those are the ones you try to go and grab on the way there, but can't do it. And I remember watching it go right down the middle and not breaking, and then uh, Caratini, who was the hitter at the time, hit it right back up the middle. And I remember seeing the seams on the ball spinning back up and just could not react quick enough and uh, took it right off the temple. Daniel, you also remember the two sounds from that moment. You talk about the sound of the ball hitting the bat and then the sound of the ball hitting your head. You've also said that you remember seeing the ball coming back right there in the seams. Like, I don't want to bring up painful memories, but what else do you remember about that sequence? Or do you remember? I remember uh, laying there and looking up, and my whole team was surrounded me, and my trainer was standing there, and I remember him asking me questions like, what's my name, birthday, what year is it? And I recall answering these questions correctly, but uh, the, the way I was answering it, the trainer... Scott Einzel did not did not enjoy I was doing it, so he called over the ambulance stretcher, and uh, I was laying there like, why are we doing this? So I played football growing up, and I've been, you know, I've had my bell rung a few times, and I didn't think it was too bad at the time. So I'm laying there just with a bit of a headache, wondering what what's all going on. And then, so they get me on the stretcher, and when they get me on the stretcher and put me in the ambulance, that's when stuff starts getting a little bit worse for me. And, Daniel, the point is also the trainer said that after you arrived in the hospital, a chaplain approached him and started talking to him. It was at that point that the trainer realized there was a chance that you could actually lose your life. You might die. Did you ever have that thought yourself? Not not, not initially. Uh, when I was in the ambulance, that's when I started feeling worse. And then once I got to the hospital, I started getting real dizzy, and I ended up throwing up on the nurses, and I felt pretty awful about it. And after that, the memories fading pretty quickly, and then my last memories of them shaving my head with some pretty bad clippers, and then after that, um, laying in the bed talking to my dad. Daniel, the amazing thing, scary thing. Your wife Jen, she watched the game online from Florida, and your young son. What did she think happened? She she did not really understand because it's hard, you know, especially in minor league video to to tell what really happened, and the announcers were doing the best job to keep it. PG there, but uh, they didn't want to alarm too many people. But you know, you don't you don't really know what's going on. And luckily, I had a buddy uh, in the bullpen. Right when that happened, he ran into the clubhouse and ended up giving his wife the trainer's number. And her, his wife sent my wife the trainer's number. So then they were able to be in direct contact right away. Obviously, you and I are having this conversation right now. You're a pitcher with the St. Louis Cardinals. You've got a brand new book called One Line Drive. All is well that ends well, as terrifying as that all was. I mean, you came all the way back from that. You were called up to the majors in 2018. In your debut, you pitched seven innings of no-hit ball. What do you remember about that day and just how special was it, given everything you and I just talked about? Uh, I remember just feeling real blessed, real um, real, real joyful. And um, I feel like, uh, you know, uh, not just for myself, but for everyone who was, who's been there my life, you know, it was kind of a big old teamwork deal right there, and it felt good. It felt good to honor everybody and and uh, being able to go back and just hug and kiss everyone after that after that game. It um, felt like a blessing. It's amazing. So back in February, you and your wife welcomed a daughter into the world. What is her name, and what has that experience been like for you? Uh, Sophia, and it's it's great. Yeah, my third my third baby. And uh, she, she's my little sweet pea, and I, I miss her dearly right now. I cannot wait till they come, come see me in the mid, middle of May. 
Daniel Ponce de Leon is joining us. So, Daniel, what was it like to put all these thoughts on paper and to write the book? Was it cathartic? Was it hard? What was it like to actually do that? Well, initially I did not want to write it, but they, they did a little convincing from my inner circle. And uh, what really, really set the, the tip over was, was the fans that reach out to me, and they, they said how they were affected by whatever my life. And I'm like, well, if we could affect lives and change lives, then, you know, I'm in to, to write in this story. And, and um, my, my group of guys, Jeff, Brian, uh, Tom, you know, those, those guys, and Jan, they put together a good group of people to help write this thing out, and I think the product that came out of it was fantastic. I think it's fantastic. And, and again, has there ever been anybody drafted four times from four different schools, had a scholarship ripped, had a signing bonus ripped, and banned by the NCAA? Has anybody ever gone through that before that you know of? <laughs> no, not that I know of, and I haven't exactly researched it, but... Uh, no, I don't think so. I don't think so either. I don't know for a fact, but I, I would have to venture a guess and say no. He's got a brand new book out. It's called One Line Drive. You should look for that. He's one on one on the year. Daniel Ponce de Leon, my guest. Daniel, I really appreciate you sharing your thoughts and your story. Thank you very much. Great to have you on, and good luck with everything else. Thank you, Jim. Thanks for having me on. Rusty in Seatown. Rusty, what's going on with you? Ah, Jim Rome. Spring is in the air. Baseball season in full swing. How about them Cleveland Indians there, eh, buddy? I got to tell you, when they put me on house arrest for violating parole last week, I thought my life was over. Turns out, sitting at home, never missing a game, is not that bad. Who knew that Justin Bieber kid could sing and pitch? Better yet, Jim Rome, I've had a little time to do some science-type stuff in the basement, if you know what I mean. I got to go, Jim. Sounds like the DoorDash guy is here with my Egg McMuffin, or that's the fire marshal with the hazmat team. War Lake Erie, I'm out. Why do I think that that dude is not in Cleveland? Why do I think that that dude's name really isn't Rusty? Why do I think that that dude's doorbell did not ring? Because every time that guy calls, that doorbell just happens to ring in the middle of the call. What a dink. Generally, if I'm going to the ABQ, on the other end of the line is the R-E-X. Hello, Rex. Hey, Jimmy. Um, that was a good read by Rusty. Um, but I want to know why people are piling on Dyson. Did they produce some of the most advanced products ever created? You know, for instance, you have that normal hand dryer in the public bathroom where the residual fecal matter is sent downwards to the floor. However, you know, you got the Dyson air blade when it's blown up into the air, which is what I prefer because when you're leaving the bathroom, you are showered with residual fecal particulate. You don't like that call. I don't like that call. Not a very good call. So we go to the ABQ to check in with the REX, and he brings to me the RFM. Fabian showing up in the jungle. Fabian, what's up, dog? Good morning, Rome. Oh, man, here, let me start reading. Blah, blah. Hey, dude, uh, good to hear. Hey, you know what? I want to tell you a little something-something. Actually, I, you know, I'm, I bounce all over the place, right? But uh, this one, I want to kick it out because I don't know how familiar you are with that 5150 thing, but your boy was one of them cats, you know? So the jungle, it was like, you know, you got to talk to these cats and stuff, you know? And they they got to make sure you have a good supporting, you know, group around you and the whole deal, man. Pow! I threw the jungle, that ass. Boom. 
And they're like, all right, all right, get out of here, dude. So anyways, um, I don't know. For some reason, I want to get that off my chest and stuff. Rich knows about that and Bella B. And all this cat's but like, and eh, the hell. So, um, so there's a, lately, there's like this one fight. Or actually not a fight. It's just like this youngster, the Gavin dude, you know, it, trying to get at, 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 you know, old clones, you know. I just kicked 51, so I'm like, you know, youngster, I cannot slap you because I go to jail, you know. So I was like, you know, I was talking to Manny in Oxnard, and I'm like, dude, you got to just get the Mets fan, you know, to settle the boy down, you know, because he'll eat him up, you know. Anyways, um, I want to talk a little bit about the Dodgers because it's, like, so awesome to see this this group. Oof, I almost messed up. Uh, this group of dudes, it's just like back in the day, you know, somebody used to get hurt, call the miners, bring some dude up, whatever the dude was, they would fit right in, man. It was just beautiful, you know? And I just feel like we're going to, like, be kicking ass. Ah! You don't like Actually, oh, Fabian, that was a good call. Not a very good call. Landon Dickerson is my guest. Landon, great to have you on. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? I appreciate you having me on. You know what? I appreciate you coming on, Landon. I got to ask you first. I've talked to so many draft prospects. I'm really curious. Two weeks out, how does it sound and feel right about now? In other words, are you enjoying the time and the buildup to the draft? Or if you could, would you hit fast forward and just find out exactly where you're going to live and play right now? Um, you know, really, it's kind of it's a balance of both of those. Uh, you know, this is a once in a lifetime process, and you know, I think a lot of people get caught up in the business side of it. It is something that you know should be enjoyed in the moment, and you do, really don't want to rush through it because you won't ever get to live it again. But uh, you know, also at the same time, you want to have a plan for your future and kind of you know know what team you're going to, know what city you're going to end up in. So. You know, I'm kind of balancing the fine line of, you know, appreciating the time I have and also kind of wondering, you know, where I'll end up being. I think you nailed that. Landon Dickerson joining us. Speaking of nailing something, there was this incredible video from the Pro Day where Mac Jones is doing an interview and you're in the background doing cartwheels and you strung together five in a row, actually. What made you do that? And better yet, at your size, exactly how do you do that? Uh, You know, really, it's honestly... um, you know, me and Mac are really good friends, and I always like to mess with him when he's doing interviews. You know, we, we've all we've been on you know shows together. He's had interviews, mess with me, same thing. So, you know, it's just kind of you know I like to mess with my friends. So I figured that was a good opportunity to kind of catch him off guard and see how he likes to respond in the moment. So, you know, maybe it was a good uh, good uh, learning point for some teams to see how he reacts to some some unknowns. But uh, you know, honestly, it's just you know. Um, you know, big guys are, you know, we play football, we're, we're athletes too. So, you know, we're, we're able to do some things that people may not expect. No doubt. Landon Dickerson joining us, no doubt. But then again, if people know your background, they would not be surprised. As an example, we know you can move. You earned a black belt in karate when you were 11. That made you the youngest person to earn that belt in your dojo. You were also an Eagle Scout. Like, you're making me feel really bad about me, my man. But overall, what was your life like when you were growing up? Um, You know, I played a bunch of sports growing up, whether it was, you know, from Little League, baseball, soccer, basketball, football, karate. I did gymnastics for a while. Um, You know, it was kind of just depending on the time of year was bouncing from, you know, with the rec field to, you know, uh, gymnasium or going to you know basketball court whatever it may have been so you know I've always been into playing sports my entire life Landon Dickerson joining me listen one thing to be big 
another to be big and athletic. But when you started your career at Florida State, guys talk about how you look like a college offensive lineman from the very moment you arrived on campus. They also talked about the fact that you always want to take on the biggest guy. Where did that attitude come from? Uh, I think it's just kind of my competitive nature. I mean, I've loved sports. I love being competitive all my life. So, you know, it's always, you know, I, I always like to challenge myself, you know, find the, the strongest guy, the fastest guy, whoever it may be, and then, you know, compete against them. I know I'm not going to win every single time, but it's just always that, that mindset, that growth mindset of always trying to be better and pushing yourself to, you know, sometimes you may be in a lift group where you're the strongest guy. Well, you know, go find somebody else who's stronger than you and, you know, push yourself to, to be stronger than them and just keep growing, keep getting better. I love that notion of having a growth mindset. We talk about this quite a bit, but you seem to have figured that out at a pretty early age. Like, when did you first start thinking about the importance of having a growth mindset? Who put that thought in your head? Um, I think the biggest thing is you just have to, you have to have an appreciation that, you know, you, you know we all have kind of an expiration date. Um, you know, we have a finite amount of time on this earth and, you know, nobody knows when that day is or when it's coming. So, you know, being able to get as much as you can out of life, I think that's just an important, you know, kind of ideology that I like to live by. You know, you want to kind of live every day and make the most of it because you really don't know when that last day is coming. It's a great mindset, a great point of view. But there's also all these great legends about you, like the fact that you build computers and 3D printers. Is this true? And what do you like about building computers? Um, haven't really messed with building computers. I guess the, I won't get too technical, but the Arduino boards that go into 3D printers, it's kind of a, you know, micro computer, if you want to say, but, um, you know, really I've always, rather than just computers, I've always been interested in, you know, taking things apart, finding out how they work, you know, what makes things tick, whether it's, whether it is a computer or building a 3D printer or, you know, a, a vacuum or, a you know, some you know, electrical tool or a part of my truck or anything like that. Just, uh, I find a lot of value in kind of knowing how things work. And, you know, it also does save me a little bit of money when it comes to things need to be fixed. I usually know how to fix them. (laughs) So good. Landon Dickerson joining us. You made my point for me. I always say this about offensive linemen, that generally you don't hear a lot of offensive linemen interviewed, but they're always good interviews when they do it because it's such a technical position. You have to be smart to play that position. So inevitably, whenever I talk to a lineman on any level, they always come off well. Now, you mentioned your truck. I'm glad you brought that up. There's also the fact that the front bumper of your truck came off at one point and you replaced it with a railroad tie. What was the thinking behind that move? Um, so, really, it was it was more of a budgetary thing at the time. Uh, you know, bumpers, any vehicle parts are really kind of expensive. So, you know, be, being on a college budget, uh, a $12 piece of wood from Lowe's, was going to have to suffice for uh, the bumper temporarily until I could, you know, build up the money and budget for a new one. And actually, the bumper has been taken off since then, and we actually now have a a regular bumper back (laughs) in the truck. It's the best. Landon Dickerson joining us. I think as many people know, you suffered an ACL injury in the SEC championship game. When you put in all the work that you had put in and you fought the way that you fought, battled the way you battled, I know that you understand that this is a part of the game, but how challenging was it to suffer that injury and know that you were not going to be able to compete in the playoffs at that time? Uh, You know, it's something you have to acknowledge. Obviously, I've I've played football this long. I've been injured. I know, you know, you – you accept that whenever you choose to play this sport. So it's something that I know can happen. 
you know, it's not the best thing in the world, but I always think, you know, there's always a positive side to injuries, whether it's, you know, finding out that, you know, way you were training, maybe you weren't, you know, building muscle a certain way. Maybe you had a deficiency somewhere, you know, maybe it's just a lesson to learn from, you know, what, you know, how to overcome adversity, how, you know, where does your mind go whenever you get into a rough time? And there's always those good teaching moments for me. Um, you know, but realizing I couldn't play, it wasn't a huge deal to me. I knew that, you know, the team that we had and the guys that were on that team, you know, it, it didn't matter if someone got hurt. The next guy was going to step up. Everybody on that team was going to do everything they could to help them and help the team succeed on the field. So, you know, I wasn't worried at all about how they were going to play or how they were going to do. You know, I, I get that. Then on top of that, though, you still want to stay as close to your guys as you possibly could. So before the national championship game, you dress, you warm up, despite only being a few weeks removed from surgery. And then late in the game, you ask Nick Saban if you could just get into the game for a few snaps. How did that play out? And then what did it mean to be able to get into that game? Uh, you know, I mean, kind of going back to the reasoning behind it, um, you know, at the time, I still wasn't sure if that was going to be my, my last game, you know, in a playing for the Crimson Tide. So, uh, you know, not knowing that, I wanted to be able to go out there, you know, one last time, no matter if I was coming back or not, to to really be out there and be with my team and that group of guys one last time because, you know, any way you cut it, this this team was special and it's just something you don't see a whole lot of very often. So, um, you know, getting to be around them, getting to go through things and, you know, pregame warm-up, snapping, all that stuff, just to, you know – basically just kind of relive it one more time. Um, you know, that was kind of my thought process. And also, you know, want to be out there and show those guys, you know, you know, I may be a little beaten, banged up, but, you know, it's not going to stop me. So let's go play this game. And, um, you know, getting in at the end was, it was a tremendous thing to, for coach Saban to let me do, um, you know, going in, taking the last snap and, you know, having that moment with all my teammates is just, just an amazing feeling. I'm from where I'm sitting, just watching that. I thought that was great. I thought that was awesome. You get on the field, you're hugging everybody in the huddle. I can only imagine what was said in the huddle. What about after the game? You carried Saban around the field. How did that come to be, and what did the coach make of that moment? Um, you know, coach Saban really hadn't spoken much of it since then, but you know, for, for us, it was a, a special moment for him. He's he's done. You know. A, I don't need words can't even describe how much he's done for the team, for me personally, and for, you know, the program at Alabama. He's accomplished so much in his time as a coach and you know, it was it was a great moment to kinda you know, I've I've said that, you know, once once you've accomplished so much in life you, you probably should have people carry you around for a little bit. So, you know, that was just kind of a spur of the moment thing, you know, went and carried him across, tried to find uh, the other coach out there, but with a sea of players it makes it a little difficult. I think that's cool. How about a quick thought about Mac Jones, who you mentioned? You obviously played with him. What is a team going to get when they draft him? Like, what parts of his game make him special and unique? Uh, Mac Jones, he's he's extremely talented, just you know, kind of out of the box. But I think what's going to separate him in the long run is, you know, how much he loves the game and he's just a student of the game. I mean, every aspect of, you know, whether it's you know formations, defensive coverages, what, you know, defensive linemen are doing, offensive schemes, you know, every single aspect of the game he loves to study and he loves to try to, you know, take advantage of anything he can find. So, you know, with any NFL team that gets him is going to get a guy that I have no doubt is going to have a tremendous career and a long career. 
Landon Dickerson joining us. The draft gets underway on April 29th. He was an All-American. He was a first-team All-SEC'er, a national champion, winner of the Jacobs Blocking Trophy, and the Remington Trophy for the nation's top center. Landon, great to get to know you. Great to have you on this show. Thank you very much for sharing your thoughts, and I would love to do it again once you get settled in the NFL. Yes, sir. I appreciate you having me on. Good night now!